Well, I'm not sure if you were comforted by the words about the Black Death, but um, we'll overcome this with this psalm. It's Psalm 46, and it's on uh, page 563 of the Bibles in front of you. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He shatters the bow and shatters the spe- he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, "Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress." At the top of our service uh, today is. Uh, a special day where we have a precious opportunity to hear from uh, a lady and a man from across our congregations about how they've been, I guess, processing the word of God into their lives. And so this morning we're going to hear from Suzanne Smith, one of our women's ministers, who is uh, widely loved. In fact, I don't think you're allowed to say anything nasty about her. So if you think it, keep it to yourself. <laughs> Uh, and then we're going to have a Bible reading from Malcolm, and then uh, Martin Sumter is going to also uh, speak to us for a few minutes. So I invite Suzanne uh, up to the microphone. Would you please welcome her as she makes her way up? Thank you. Thanks so much. Let me put my stopwatch there because I do like to talk. Okay. So good to be with you this morning, and as I'm in this congregation, I can actually say that this is my favorite congregation. So I love having the opportunity to be here and talk to you, and I don't get it often, so thanks for having me. It was quite strange, obviously, as the week progressed, mulling over the message, the coronavirus hysteria kind of ramping up, to think that I had to bring, you know, a message this morning amidst all this kind of chaos and uncertainty, and it kind of made me think of... 19 years ago, I was a fashion designer in South Africa. Um, That was my previous career, which is obviously a very natural progression to then go into ministry. Um, And I had just done a collection at South African Fashion Week. And this um, talk show, I guess, in South Africa asked me if I would come onto the show and they'll do an interview for me to talk about the collection. All fine. It was scheduled for the 12th of September. You know, we planned it about four weeks beforehand. And, of course, the day before was September 11, and the talk show still went ahead. And I was sitting on the stage with this audience, and this guy was asking me about my fashion collection. And I remember thinking, what? Why are we talking about fashion when this is going on in the world? It was the weirdest, emptiest feeling. So it's such a difference today to stand here in this really uncertain time where we we don't quite know what's ahead for us, to be not sharing about fashion by sharing about our Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. You know, the one that is, was, and will be. And that is 
150% in control of the situation. What a great difference. So I'm so happy to be doing that today. So I'm obviously going to be sharing my reflections on the series that we've just done on John. And um, I remember when we discussed in staff meeting that we are going to be doing our fourth year in the book of John for term one. I felt a little bit like my youngest, Margot, when she heard that she'd been enrolled for scripture at school. Um, now, I went in on some random Friday morning to drop off something that she had left at home. She was only at kindy at, on, in kindy at the time, so it was two years ago. And, um, you know, I ran into the school. Now, scripture is offered in the first period of a Friday morning, so I knew she'd be in the scripture class. So I ran in to take the money or the library book or whatever it was, just to find that Margot's not there. So I said to the teacher, where's Margot? And so the teacher's just sitting in the corner while the scripture teacher is doing her thing. And she said to me, I thought it's weird that she doesn't come to scripture, seeing as you're the churchy type. I said, so where is she? And she goes, oh, she goes to non-scripture. I went, what? Like she enrolled herself into non-scripture. So I walked into the hall where all the non-scripture kids are, you know, colouring in and doing whatever. And when she saw me, you know, that face that you'd just been busted. And I went, Marco, why aren't you in scripture? And she just went like, she said, I can't learn more about God. That's all we ever talk about. At home, at church, I cannot learn about him. At school as well, I need a break. And that's a bit like I felt about John, but what short-term memory I have. How good is John? I was a bit like, more John? But man, it has been fantastic. I mean, I just loved walking through, as we started off the series, those last hours of Jesus' death, after the last hours of Jesus' life, as he's spending it with his disciples, as the greatest love story ever told is just reaching its crescendo. Now, just first off, I want to say I'm not anywhere as eloquent as Scott. I just love his beautiful use of language. I think you're with me. But um, I am going to try my best to share my reflections on the series with you because I found it so hard-hitting, heart-wrenching, confronting, utterly jaw-dropping, and so comforting. So I've done it in three parts. My three parts I've called, he's the one. The second part is, he sees your heart. And the third part is, Always be yourself. Unless you can be John, then always be John. I'll explain myself. So I'll start with he's the one. I just couldn't help myself. I kept thinking back to the covenant with Abraham as we started off the series. It kept popping up in my head. You know the, back, the one back in Genesis 15. So we know from historical texts that around the time that Abraham was around, that's maybe, what, 1500 BC, a covenant that required animals to be slaughtered worked like this. It usually involved a lesser nation, and a greater nation, and this lesser nation has come to this greater nation wanting their protection or, you know, their help in times of need, and then they would bring animals and they'd have to cut them apart, and the stronger nation would offer their protection and their help in times of need, and the lesser nation would promise their allegiance to the stronger nations, the stronger nation, and how they would do it is they'd physically lay these animals out and the lesser nation would walk through it. And as they're walking, they would say, I promise that I will remain faithful to you. I will keep up my end of the bargain. And if I don't, for any reason, then I promise and I swear that this is what will happen to me. I will be ripped apart like these animals if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. So God uses this image with Abraham because he knows that Abraham understands this type of covenant. So Abram brings the animals, they slaughter them, they lay them apart. 
God says to him, Abram, I will be giving you as many descendants as the stars in the sky, and I will give you this land that we are standing on, and I will always be your God if you promise to remain faithful to me, if you and your descendants promise to remain faithful to me. And so obviously what's the next part? These animals are now slaughtered. Who's got to walk through this? In this covenant, it's Abram, isn't it? He's the lesser nation. But this is not what God does. He puts Abram into a deep sleep. And God himself walks through those pieces, saying, Abram, if you can't keep up your end of the bargain, and I know you won't, what will happen is I will pay the price. I will be ripped apart like these animals. Isn't that just wow? So now we fast forward, right? Um, 1,500 years. And here we stand in John 17 with Jesus, God with skin on, and his beloved disciples on the eve of this great slaughtering of the Son of God himself as it was foretold back in Genesis 15 and many times through the Old Testament, to pay for the sins of our forefathers, to pay for our sins, and to pay for the sins of those still to come. And so that's why I kept thinking about that. Wow, this is the occasion that we are entering into now. And this brings me to my second point, and something else I've been really reflecting on during the series, and that is, he sees your heart. Now, you cannot read through the book of John and miss how much Jesus cares about the details. This great I am, the one that was there before the world, the one that was there at creation, the one that holds seven stars in one hand, the one that was crucified, died, and rose again to bring to fulfillment the biggest game changer in humanity, that one still makes time to specifically love on and care for individual personalities. This just blows my mind. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, it says in John 1.14. Or the message version says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And to illustrate this point, I've been looking closer at the relationship between Jesus and Peter as we see it here in the book of John. I've become such a fan of Peter through this series. Um, not because I necessarily want to be like Peter, but because I can so relate to him. And I think we can all learn a lot from him. He's so flawed, but he's so passionate. In John 13, verse 8, he says when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet in the upper room, not just my feet, Lord, but my hands and my head as well. You know, he just, it's always all in. And then verse 37, he says, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. And then a mere five chapters later, he's the one denying Jesus. But as Scott told us a few weeks ago, Peter finds himself in this position where he denies Jesus because he followed Jesus into the forecourts of that temple, didn't he? So he was in this place and situation because of his fierce love for Jesus. That took guts. And then, of course, he really slips up and denies his Savior and Lord three times. But luckily for Peter, Jesus sees his passionate and all-in heart, and he works with it. And we read in Mark 16, 7, as Jesus appears to the woman at the tomb, where the stone has been rolled away, that he says to them specifically, go tell the disciples, and then he says, and tell Peter that he will go ahead of them to Galilee and he will, that they will see him there. He wants Peter to know specifically that he wants to see him, that he is forgiven. And then further on in John 21, Jesus appears to his disciples on the shores of Galilee. Now, they don't know immediately it's him. You know the story he says to them, throw your net on the other side and then they catch lots of fish. 
And then when they realize it is Peter, uh, it is Jesus, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to shore to Jesus while the other disciples follow in the boat. Again, that personality of Peter just wanting to get to the Lord straight away. And once they get there, Jesus has made this little fire and he's roasting bread and he asks them to bring the fish they caught. And again, Peter's the one that runs to the boat and drags the whole net ashore, brings the fish. And I just love that kind of passion in the man. And the image of them all sitting around a fire that our Lord has made, they're roasting bread, they're eating fish together. But then the heading of the next chapter is the one that really chokes me up. The heading is Jesus reinstates Peter. And you know what? That is the turning point. When Peter stops putting his faith in himself and starts putting his faith in Christ, that is when the change happens. That is when his ministry takes off. And the rest is really history because Peter's ministry really does take off and he ends up catching many, many fish for the kingdom until the end of his days. And that is the God we serve. He does not write us off because we make mistakes. He continues to pursue us because he loves us. And this brings me to my third point, which I called always be yourself unless you can be like John, then always be like John. So my middle child, Hudson, I named him in great faith after the missionary Hudson Taylor, was dropped off after a play date at a friend's house by the friend's dad. He was asking what I was up to. It was just earlier this week, actually. And I explained I was doing this talk in church on Sunday and I was doing a bit of preparation for it. And then he pipes up and he goes, oh, I don't bother with church anymore. I just feel so guilty about everything I'm not doing right when I go. I was so excited to hear this. I said to him, what a great place to be at. That is exactly the point you want to get to. That's exactly the point that all of us need to get to, where you realize you can never do enough or be enough to deserve what Jesus has done for you. None of us can. You're so lucky that you've come to feel like this. He has done it all. Nothing that you can do so that no one can boast. So I launched into everything that I'd just written down and learned about Peter, and I told him that our God does not want perfection. He wants our hearts and all of it. I think he got a little bit more than he bargained for, actually. (laughs) But he also said that it made him feel like giving church another go, and he actually asked whether he could come to our church. I was like, of course. And as he walked away, I laughed so much because he said, oh, thank you for telling me about bipolar Peter, and then he drove off. That was quite funny. But back to my point about John, our perfect and all-powerful Lord Jesus is hanging on a cross, getting mocked and spat on, and he takes it because he is in total control of the situation. He has full power to destroy them all, but he allows them to kick and spit and crucify him because that is part of the story. And this is not the end of the story. He has to die and pay for the sins of the world and rise again so that the story can go on. And not just that, that through this, we might be able to be part of this continuing story with him. In John 14, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. At that, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So in the meantime, while we are waiting, and we are aware that this home about this home with many rooms, let's focus on being more like John the Baptist, always saying, I'm just a voice. Don't remember me or anything I've done. Remember him and what he has done, always pointing to Jesus. Let us be so thankful for the great gift of life that he has given us, that the natural outpouring of this thankfulness will look like this. 
loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, souls, and minds. How do we do this? We do this by spending time in his word, praying and falling in love with him all over again, again and again, so that our motivation is not driven by guilt, but by love for our God, a desire to be with him. Then we will be able to love on others enough to share this hope we have, not because of anything we have done, but because of everything that the Lord Jesus has done, so that no one can boast. So then when he does come for us, not only will we join him in his father's house and our father's house, simply because we believe in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, but let's make sure that those rooms that he has gone to prepare are filled to the brim with others that we have brought along because we are always pointing to him and what he has done, not because we need to, not out of guilt, but out of joyful, irrepressible gratitude. Thank you. Our New Testament reading is taken from John chapter 17, verses 1 to 19. And you can find this on page 1083 of the Church Bibles. The first heading is Jesus Prays to be Glorified. After, <clears throat> excuse me, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence, with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus prays for his disciples. I have revealed to you, to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I prayed for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer. But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. That name you gave me, by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world 
but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. In August 2004, I joined Moore Theological College as the bursar, what we now call the chief operating officer, the person who runs the college for the principal. One of my first and most demanding jobs was to organise the end-of-year Christmas function. And so it was on the Friday just before Christmas that year, 40 of us assembled in the Toxteth Hotel, the pub, in Glebe Point Road. I'd booked the courtyard, a nice open space, two brick walls, two big glass panels, the sun was shining, we enjoyed good bistro pub food, a couple of us had a beer, two or three people had a wine, great conversation, a trivia quiz, and our final organised event, we cranked up the mobile CD player, Tina Turner blasted out Nutbush City Limit, and I and others were taught how to dance to that tune. What an experience. I was the last to leave. And I'm making my way through the large pub and I come to an internal glass door. Coming the other side, I can see this Australian coming this way with three large schooners of beer. Knew he was Australian because he could carry them without spilling a drop. So I open the door for him. He comes through and he says, thanks, mate. And then he turns to me and he says, where are you lot from? And I said, more theological college, the Christian training college up there in Newtown. He goes, oh, you know what, mate? I've never seen any group have so much fun with so little alcohol. In the world, but not of the world. Malcolm's just read to us something of what Jesus prays for his disciples to hint for us. We are in the world not to be of it. I'd like to offer you some examples, some observations from my own life of what that actually means and their challenges. Their challenges still to me. I look at them in three parts, in the world, of the world, not of the world. Now there's no doubt that you are and I are in the world. But how intentional are we? I'm still at Moore College, and to get to Moore College each day, I get the bus into Wynyard and the train from Wynyard to Redfern. And it's then a walk, about eight minutes, from Redfern Station to college. And about where the microphone is placed now is Cafe Ella. On at least one morning every week at 7.15am, you'll find me in there quietly having a large, long black and working on a Bible study. And I don't know if you've noticed that if you're having coffee on your own, it's very hard not to hear the conversations around you. Let me give you two examples. X is talking with Y. Well, X is actually sharing with Y the problem that X has with Z. Z's not there. And X is going on and on. It's actually more of a monologue than a conversation about the problem X has with Z. And I listen and I think... Is that how I'd treat Z? Talking about Z 
with someone else? Or would I quietly go up to Zed and say, look, I wonder if we can get together for a few minutes. I've got something I'd really like to work through with you. Second sort of conversation I often hear is where two or three people are gathered and they're discussing something and it's a world point of view. Do you know, it's amazing how many times that world point of view reflects in some way what I'm preparing in the Bible study. It gives me an example of something that is of the world. My best and, in fact, my worst example of being of the world is this. For nine years, I was a partner at KPMG, one of the big four accounting firms. With the benefit of hindsight, I can look back and saw that increasingly in those years, I became Martin Sumter, a partner at KPMG. It was almost as if I introduced myself that way. Martin Sumter, a partner at KPMG. Now, I've shared this example before in this church a number of years ago. And in doing that, I actually had on my chest, my actual chest, hairs and all, the letters K-P-M-G. And it was at this point in the story I started to take my shirt off. I am not going to do that this morning. It wasn't a pretty sight then, and it's a worse sight now. But in taking those four letters off, it was painful. But now... I know that rather than, and I've left KPMG, rather than KPMG, I'm now KBG, LBG. Known by God, loved by God. What does it mean then to be not of the world? I think it's clear to me, and it probably is clear to you, that we are not of the world. We think rather differently. Here's the challenge. In 24 hours' time, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock on a Monday morning, how will you and I act, relate, speak in such a way that it reflects what we've heard and thought about and talked this morning? Will that be an actual reality tomorrow for you and I? And then our world calls for tolerance, doesn't it? In debates, discussions that all too often, tragically, end in name-calling and abuse. Be tolerant, be tolerant. Listen to these challenging words from John Dixon. John suggests that true tolerance is the noble ability to treat with grace those with whom we disagree to treat with grace those with whom we disagree. Now, for me, and perhaps for you, there is a real tension between the three elements. In the world, of the world, not of the world. And when I think of tension, I can think of no better illustration than a tug of war. Many years ago, Margaret and I were on holiday in Scotland. We went to a day of Highland Games. It was our summer holiday. It was wet. It was cold. Thankfully, we were undercover. It was a day of sitting there and drinking hot coffee, hot soup, enjoying hot, hot dogs, surrounded by spectators who mostly said things like, Eh, Jimmy, 
Yeah, Jimmy. In front of us, the Highland Games. Now, the Highland Games last all day. There's a whole number of contests happening at the same time. The one that lasts the whole day is the bagpipe playing contest. Now, it's okay for one or two, isn't it? But when you've got six hours of it, and the next day all you can hear is these bagpipes in your ear, it is a bit overwhelming. We get to the final part of the Highland Games, and it's the tug-of-war. And out march these teams. They're Scootsmen, they're in their kilts, they're William Wallace look-alikes. I failed to spot Mel Gibson amongst them. But there they are, they come out... They're in the world. They're on this wet, dank grass. On one side, pulling and trying to win is of the world, and the other, on the other side is not of the world. And there's a real tension as they pull backwards and forwards. And I suggest that's a bit like you and I. There's of the world, but not of the world. And as we try and aim and are diligent in being, but not of the world, what helps us? More importantly, who helps us? And the who is God's Holy Spirit. If you, by grace like me, have accepted God's gift of eternal life that Malcolm read to us, then you will know the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us, not somewhere out there, but in us. It's him quietly working in us. And I'd have to say that at this point, what I now say next is no coincidence because it lines up with what Suzanne's just said. How does he act in my life? How do, must I allow him to do that? Reading the Bible. I've managed to develop a daily habit of reading God's word I'd encourage you, as you become more familiar with it, have a go at reading the whole of the Bible with some good notes, perhaps a chapter from the Old Testament and one from the New. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you those insights, because that is what he will, as you read. As you pray. Another way that the Holy Spirit can work and wants to work within you and I. Now, prayer sometimes gets a bit dry, doesn't it? We think, what are we going to pray? Well, two suggestions. One, from what you've just read, pray that back to God. Secondly, think about, well, it happens with 1, one Thessalonians. I'm not quite sure to what to pray about, about my brothers and sisters down at St. Matthew's Manly. Look at, I suggest, the first few verses of each of Paul's letters. He prays for the people he's writing to. They're prayers that you and I can echo for our brothers and sisters. Remember 1 Thessalonians, that fledgling church um, that Paul is so excited about? Fledgling church, Marsden Park. So, in the world but not of the world. And that is not an end in itself because it's a means to an end. It's the means to the end whereby someone will say something like, hey, you seem to say things a bit differently 
who act differently. And by God's grace, may that give you and I an opportunity to share something of our walk with Jesus. Perhaps in very non-technical, non-technical words that Christians surround themselves with, but just to share quietly what Jesus means to you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, our prayer this morning is that empowered and enabled by your Holy Spirit, we may be people who are in the world, but not of it. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Logical College. <laughs> they wouldn't see it coming, would they? Would you please thank Martin and Cezanne for sharing with us this morning? We've actually heard quite a, quite a lot, haven't we? Um, thinking about God's faithfulness to us as his son is ripped apart on the cross. Uh, thinking about Peter's exuberance and how it's finally put to good work when Peter starts to trust in Christ rather than himself. Thinking about making more of the Lord Jesus and less of ourselves so that we're just a voice that points to him. And then just now thinking about what it means to be in the world and balancing that tension between being of the world and not of the world. Lots to think about there. What I'm going to do is give us each uh, about a minute of quiet just to think and reflect um, so that it doesn't all just end up in the vapour out there somewhere. Uh, and then uh, once that's done, I'll lead us in a, a short prayer and we'll carry on with our service. So I'll just give you a moment to reflect and to think and then we'll continue. Let me lead us in a short prayer. Heavenly Father God, I want to thank you for your scriptures, for the way they continue to speak into our lives. Thank you for the way they've spoken into Suzanne and Martin's lives. We pray now as, as they continue to do their work in our lives that we would be the richer for it, that we might love you with all of our hearts, our souls, our mind and our strength. For Jesus' sake and his glory. Amen. Amen. Friends, we're now